There are truly so many of your attributes that we could lift in praise this morning, God. And faithfulness. We focus on faithfulness today. Faithfulness is not always appreciated. We look for the big, the glorious, the miraculous, and just the fact that you're there day to day to day. In our dull times, in our trying times, in our moments of celebration, whatever they are, you're there, and you care ever so faithfully. I pray that we would reflect that faithfulness as your children. That as we look at all the attributes that, that we could share of yours, we would strive toward tremendous faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can have a seat. It is so good to see you today. We uh, decided when both of us were hitting a, a major decade birthday that the gift to each other would not be another thing that we'll eventually have to put in a garage sale or in the attic, but we decided, why don't, why don't we gift each other a trip? And we've talked about taking some monumental trips together. When our 25th anniversary came around, we were going to take a great trip, and what are we at, 37 now? And we hadn't yet taken that big trip, and so um, it seems like every vacation lately has been moving a child from one city to another, or one apartment to another, and so we said, let's, let's go check out the Grand Canyon. Let's see that. And uh, my goodness, God's amazing. God is so amazing. You know, I mean, God's amazing in Illinois too. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, after a while, I, I hate sounding like a whiner, but you're like, it's a gluttony of sights. And you're so full. And you're like, oh my goodness, there's more to see and more to see and more to see and more experience uh, to take in. It was just, it was utterly breathtaking. So a couple of you recommended that we take the, the pink Jeep tour in Sedona. We did that and we appreciate the recommendation. And now we both have two weeks of chiropractor to go to. That was, that was old people shouldn't do fun things. But, but it was wonderful. It was really, it was really fascinating. And, and I think in this way, it was humbling for me. You think you know something, you know. I thought I knew Arizona. Arizona is Phoenix and Grand Canyon and desert. And here we are driving from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon with six feet of snow on either side, driving through whiteouts and going, where in the world are we? This is, where are those cactus? You know, I'm, I'm, what's going on here? So uh, just an absolutely fascinating time together. And to be able to rest and relax together was wonderful. And we decided to take the risk of taking Southwest because it was cheapest. Brian's like, don't take Southwest. Southwest's got a bunch of problems. We're like, we're going to take... We had not one problem. It was fantastic, perfect, every step of the way. And Brian and Riley were to fly out on Southwest Friday morning, and the flight got canceled. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's on video. Um, no, so they had to drive instead to where they're going. But, but um, you know, for us... All good. It was perfect. It was really wonderful. So, and uh, we were able to, to watch last week from the comfort of a bed. I'm grateful for the, for the stream, for the chance to be able to join in when you're not able to be here physically. And my goodness, everything was just, it just would look like a phenomenal week. Brian's teaching was amazing. The singing, everything about the day um, really helped us to remain, remain connected in that way. So today is, is Palm Sunday. And uh, when you look at the, the, this week coming up, I don't know if you've ever had a week like this. Have you ever had a week that, 
by the end of the week you went, wait a second, that was just Monday. Are you kidding me? This is still the same week? I want you to imagine the, the emotional roller coaster that these disciples went through this particular week. You know, this, this week actually starts in the house of, of Lazarus, who was late, raised from the dead, and Mary anointing the feet of Jesus and just showing love and adoration to him. And then love and adoration is, is shown to Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. Oh, here, our king is here. And, and you can see in the disciples' minds, they're thinking, ah, I'd like to be the governor of Judea. Ah, I'd like to be. They're, they're thinking through all these pieces of what it's going to mean to be on the coattails of the king of Israel. And, and as the week progresses, things seem to be going. They're thinking coronation. And the whole time, Jesus knows, no, this is going to be crucifixion. To the point that by Friday, he's hanging dead on a cross. And, and they've got to be wondering, what did we just invest our lives in? What was this? Hiding in a room, waiting and wondering. And we'll, we'll talk about the end of the story next week. But this week... This week, I wanted to encourage you to walk through the pieces of the week, to, to be in the, in the delusion of celebration today, the, just, that, just that sense of, he's our king, yay, and then to walk through that, that time together in the upper room when Jesus is actually serving the person who will betray him. Could you serve your betrayer? Could you do that? Could you? I mean, my goodness, we won't even look people we don't like in the eyes. We walk by and snub them. And there he was washing the feet that would leave the room and go betray him. The emotion of death. You've been by the bedside of someone who died. Can you imagine being by the cross of someone who dies? Someone you love and watching every ounce of pain they're going through. I hated watching my kids get shots. To watch your son have nails driven into his hands. And then he's just hanging there dead and all hope is lost. Walk through the emotion of the week. Be in it. It's, it's called the week of passion. Passion doesn't mean emotion. Passion is the word for suffering. The suffering of Jesus. Walk through the suffering. Walk through it the way the disciples did, not aware of what's coming next Sunday. We will celebrate next Sunday. But walk through the passion of this week. Feel the emotion of it all. So you received your, your update, and, um, and when you did it, walk through some of the things we'll be doing this week. Obviously, we're celebrating Palm Sunday as you leave today. You get your choice of a, of a cross made of a palm or a strip of palm. We got both this year. Excited for that. And then come Friday, uh, the way we're going to handle the Good Friday night is to just show a portion, a portion of the Passion of the Christ. So um, if you're familiar with that particular depiction of Christ's death, it's not a sanitized version where Jesus speaks with a British accent and, and they have a little drop of blood on each hand. It's, it's really graphic and gruesome and painful. And we need to know the full pain of what Jesus went through. So we'll go through a portion of that. And then the way we handle communion on Good Friday night is for you to just come up. We have stations set up and you sit with your family, small group, friend, or alone. 
and just spend some time reflecting on the sacrifice that was made for our sins. And then next Sunday, we'll come back together to celebrate Easter. And, and I, you know, I've, I've been work, trying to work through where to go with the theme of this. And, and I, really, I really believe it's a year that we, we need to talk about forgiveness. I think there are a lot of people that just don't think that they deserve to be forgiven. And the fact is, we're right. None of us deserve to be forgiven. Forgiven is given despite our worthiness of being forgiven. And so, um, come back next week and celebrate that together. And the only uh, announcement that I want to bring to you is the one that Brian did last week that uh, we're handling our Green Lake donations a little different this year. To be perfectly honest, I'm still eating Cliff Bars and uh, I'm still eating Kind Bars from last year. Y'all, y'all just like poured out so much on us and we think that we might be able to manage all that a little bit better if it instead they're financial donations and we, we purchase what we need along the way. And so um, if you want to make a donation to that, you can do that by either writing a check or whatever and using a church envelope and just writing benevolence on it, or you can do the same online. Be, uh, our, our online um, uh, giving doesn't allow a lot of flexibility in terms of categories. So we're using the benevolence category from now on through uh, Green Lake for those donations. If for some reason you were giving a donation to benevolence that you did not intend to go in that direction, just let us know. We'll make sure it goes where it's supposed to go. But if you're wanting to make a donation to that, that would be great. And Brian talked last week about uh, kids in need of scholarships. And and within a short time after church, he was blown away. He said had three, three different people offer to, to pay for all those kids to take care of all the kids in that family. So uh, your, your generosity is just continuous and ongoing and, and incredible. We're, we're grateful for that. So uh, this morning, if a vacation is going to truly work, it's kind of hard to walk back in and preach on Sunday when you came home on Friday. And so uh, John is going to be speaking to us today. And, um, and I, I've been, I was listening to a book on the way back on the plane, and it was commending different, uh, different qualities that are needed in this era of the church, uh, in an era where, you know, the attack on the outside is, is quite intense. And one of the qualities that they commend is stability, that we need stability of community. We need to choose a community and stick with it, just stay with it. And um, I, I got to tell you that, that one of the great appreciations I have of John Beaker is that that we've been, we've been doing this together for 20 years. There's been tremendous stability of community with him and with his family. He knows this place. He knows the heart of our church. He knows the heart of Christ. And so when he comes to speak, I'm, I'm thrilled that he's not just bringing his latest fascination of something he's studying, but he's really, in a, in a, in a true way, bringing a pastoral heart uh, to the room uh, to talk. And he's going to talk today about... Uh, Palm Sunday, why the hype? So I'm curious to hear about that as well. (laughs) Father God in heaven, I pray this morning as John comes to speak to us that our hearts would be attentive to whatever you want to draw to our attention. Uh, Help us to understand the celebration, just the the blind exuberance of Palm Sunday and the fact that uh, that that celebration was necessary, but the other side of the passion is, is coming as well, the sadness and the loss. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, John. Why don't you say hi?
Well, it's always, always a privilege to uh, be able to speak with you. I have to admit, Dennis, I was a little bit nervous when you were uh, going to list an attribute because there are a lot of bad directions that could go too. But for, you know, from my standpoint, I will say this. I was thinking about it this morning, and uh, 20 years is a long time. I mean, my back feels a little bit, you know, a little tighter or whatever, but um, we have certainly, I, I can speak for my family, and I think uh, as a church family, have been appreciative of your gift of communication and your leadership over the years because it has definitely made an impact on, on who we are today. So thank you for that. So. So we'll, we'll do our best this morning, and you can, you can grade me out later. So... So uh, we're here uh, on Palm Sunday, and I was kind of thinking about, uh, as we're going to talk about uh, this particular day, what, what's it all about? I mean, wh- why is there so much hype behind Palm Sunday? I mean, why is it significant? Why should we care? Uh, and does knowing the answer to those questions, does it change anything about our lives? Should it? I mean, we kind of think maybe it should. And what actually do we know about Palm Sunday anyway? What even happened? Well, we know that Palm Sunday is the week before Easter. So if you haven't bought your ham, if you haven't got your Easter eggs, or your basket with the grass that you're going to be finding everywhere until Thanksgiving, you better hop to it. Okay, all right. You got, all right, so I'm, I just got, I need to see if people are awake. That's the thing. You better hop to it because Easter is next week. So we know that much about Palm Sunday, right? We know it's the week before Easter, so we've got that going for us. We know that Palm Sunday has something to do with palms, because words, right? We, we know that, right? And that, that's helpful. We're smart people. Uh, we know that people were waving palms, laying them on the ground in front of Jesus, and we might if we've ever read this passage of Scripture, we might even know that somewhere in this story a donkey is involved. That is probably important. But beyond that, we might be a little perplexed about this whole Palm Sunday thing. Sort of like, how come Palm Sunday gets its own Sunday? I mean, Easter Sunday, we understand that. It gets its own Sunday. But what did Palm Sunday ever do to get its own special day? And right before Easter, no less. What's important about it? These are excellent questions that are very appropriate to ask and discuss on a day like today because it's Palm Sunday. So what can we actually know about the events of the day based on Scripture? That's the question. Well, quite a bit, actually, quite a bit. Did you know that the events of Palm Sunday are recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The events surrounding the birth of Jesus are recorded in only two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. So right away, right away, we can kind of make the simple observation that something pretty important went down that day. I mean, if all four Gospel writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to include the events of Palm Sunday, we should probably sit up a little taller, lean in a little closer, and maybe kind of stroke our chins and go, hmm... That's interesting. I wonder what God is trying to say, or what He has to say to us about that day. Probably something special. So let's dig into the text and see what's happening. What does it say? What can we learn? Well, Matthew 21 starts like this. 
It says, Now when they, Jesus and his disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So right away we can see that Jesus is the one who initiates the events of that day by telling his disciples to go to a certain place to fetch a donkey that they did not own, armed only with information, the information that the Lord needed it. Now it's possible that Jesus had made arrangements beforehand with the owner of the donkey to use it. That's possible. It's also possible that Jesus supernaturally knew what was going to happen before the events unfolded in much the same way that he could discern what people were thinking in their hearts without them having to say a word. Either way, odd as it may seem, the donkey is an important part of what happened that day. We can see that by looking at the next verse. In verse 4, Matthew writes, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So we read that and we're like, okay, I see. Jesus riding on the donkey fulfills something that was written in the Old Testament, like a long time before the events actually happen. Now the passage that Matthew is talking about comes from a book called Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah was written in about 500 BC, right? 500 years before the birth of Christ. The prophet Zechariah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous in having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy, written 500 years before the birth of Jesus, is very, very specific. It involves a specific person, identified as the king of Israel, riding on a specific animal, a donkey, riding into a specific place, the city of Jerusalem, possessing a specific characteristic, humility, or being humble. The prophecy is written to a specific group of people called Daughter of Zion, which would be the Jews in Jerusalem. The passage in Zechariah elaborates that the specific people should take specific actions, specifically rejoicing and shouting. No less than five specific matches between this specific prophecy and the account of the day in the book of Matthew. That's a lot of matches. You could start a fire with the book of matches that full. It's amazing. But being good Southfielders, we know that we're always supposed to read Scripture in context, right? Not just picking verses here and there. So it would probably be worth our while to read the next couple of verses to understand, is there more? that Zechariah has to say. Well, let's take a look. Verse 10, it says, or Zechariah writes, I will cut off 
the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Look at the verbiage here. Cutting off the chariot, cutting off the war horse, and the battle bow. It sounds like this king who's coming is not bringing war, but this king is bringing something different. He's bringing peace. Peace. The text says he will bring peace, not just to Israel, but to the nations. Well, that sounds an awful lot like the purpose and mission of Jesus' church that we learned about in our deep dive groups over the past few months, doesn't it? The church is supposed to bring the message of peace with God through Jesus Christ to the world. On top of that, we know that Jesus is often referred to as the Prince of Peace. So the idea that he speaks peace to the nations is a perfect fit. It's a perfect match. But we need to talk about this donkey for a minute. We need to look at the donkey. Why a donkey? I mean... Why not an animal with a little more prestige, a little more panache, right? I mean, it's a good question. It's a good question. You may recall a few weeks ago that Dennis mentioned a number of print and online resources that are worth consulting when you run into a question like this, right? That he cautioned against just throwing questions like this into Google, but like actually looking at a good concordance or one of the uh, sites that he mentioned, it's called Got Questions. They have a fantastic uh, write-up on this particular uh, question, and I'd like to read it for you. Again, this comes from Got Questions. They, they did a great job of explaining why Jesus is riding the donkey and why that's so significant. They write, Many have wondered why the king mentioned in Zechariah 9, 9-10 would ride a donkey into Jerusalem rather than a war horse. Seems like an odd choice for royalty. Kings ride chargers, don't they? Seems to make sense. But in, ancient, in the ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders rode horses if they rode to war, but donkeys if they came in peace. 1 Kings 1.33 mentions Solomon. Solomon, King Solomon, the son of King David, riding a donkey on the day he was recognized as the new king of Israel. There are plenty of other references that they list here in Judges and one in 2 Samuel. They go on to say, the mention of a donkey in Zechariah 9, 9-10 fits the description of a king who would be righteous and having salvation in gentle rather than riding to come and conquer. This king would enter in peace. Okay, okay. So now we're, we're starting to unravel it a little bit. Now we know that on Palm Sunday, the Prince of Peace rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in peace to bring peace to people everywhere. It calls to mind the words that the angels said to the shepherds upon announcing Jesus' birth. You remember the Christmas story? Right? The shepherds are there watching their flocks by night, and the angels appear, right? and all of a sudden there's lots and lots of angels, and they say something. Right? The, the, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and what? And what? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem ushered in the events by which Jesus would fulfill those words, bring peace to those who put their faith in him. 
Finally, let's not miss the last phrase in Zechariah 9.10, indicating that his rule would would extend to the ends of the earth. This phrase in the prophecy calls to mind some of the last words of Jesus where he tells his followers that they will be his witnesses. They will be his witnesses where? Well, in Jerusalem, the city that he's riding into on Palm Sunday, into uh, Judea and Samaria, in other words, the nations, into the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. The prophecy is just rich with meaning. Let's keep going. Let's go one more verse in Zechariah. Zechariah continues and says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The blood of the covenant? Are you kidding me right now? Did you know that the phrase, the blood of the covenant, was written 500 years before the birth of Jesus? Well, what is this blood of the covenant anyway? Well, in the Old Testament, Blood was sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean to sanctify them so that they would be clean on the outside. The blood of the covenant in the New Testament refers to the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins so that we could be clean on the inside. Every single week, we celebrate celebrate communion, commemorating the blood of the covenant shed by Jesus. The part of the prophecy, this part of the prophecy, was fulfilled one week, less than one week, from the event of Jesus riding into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday. Jesus himself describes the meaning when celebrating the Lord's Supper with his followers in Matthew 26. The text says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood of the covenant, Jesus sets us free from slavery to sin. We were prisoners, but as Zechariah foretold, Jesus came to set prisoners free from the waterless pit. What an image. I'm thirsty just thinking about it. Prisoners stuck in a waterless pit? How awful. But as you read the words of Zechariah, you can't help but think of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well in John 4. Well, she's, she's got a bucket, and she's going to draw some water, and she's got, going to be able to get some physical water to be able to drink, and Jesus asks for a drink. And they have this interaction, this discussion about living water. And the woman challenges Jesus in, on this concept of living water, and Jesus says this to her. He says, everyone who drinks this water, this physical water, That will quench your thirst. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. They'll be free from the waterless pit. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, that's what Jesus does. He sets the prisoners free from the waterless pit. 
The water that he gives, a full pardon for sin, salvation, freedom, and eternal life that never runs dry. He saved us. He is saving us. And he will save us in the days ahead. Let's push forward. We're only halfway through the the passage in Matthew. Let's push forward to see what else happened on that day. Well, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks as he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? Not the first time that question was asked and answered. And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Can you imagine this scene? People literally worshiping Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. And you cannot miss the exclamation marks in the passage. Sometimes punctuation is important. This is one of those times. This is not people passively telling some interesting factual information to various onlookers. No, people are shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. They're doing exactly what Zechariah said that they were going to do. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. The crowd is calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Translated, it means, save us now. Save us now. Don't delay. Do it now. And what is Jesus there to do? Well, we already know what's going to happen later in the week on Good Friday. He is going to save them, but not in the way that they're thinking. Not in the way that they're expecting. He's going to save them and us by dying for them and us. Dying in their place and our place to bring peace, lasting peace between God and man. Hosanna to the Son of David. Son of David. It's another interesting reference. Yet another reference to an Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. Now at this point, you might ask yourself the question, How did they know he was the Messiah? And this is the beauty of having four Gospels. It's wonderful because we get different perspectives on the events of the day from the different writers. Luke's account beautifully answers that question. Luke, as he's capturing the events of the day, says, As he, Jesus, was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? For all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's why. Because of the things that they had seen. John fills in a little more information for us as well. John, capturing the events of the day, says, Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. 
okay, so there are these things called miracles that Jesus is doing, and, and people are seeing those things. You know, the thought occurs, there's only one miracle that would be more amazing than raising someone from the dead, and that would be raising yourself from the dead. But we'll, we'll save that for next week. We won't even talk about that this week. You see, these followers had seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. Pretty amazing miracles. Turning water into wine. Multiplying a couple of tiny fish and a few crumbs of bread to feed thousands of people twice, by the way. Healing those who were blind, mute, deaf, demon-possessed, or in the case of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, just sick with a fever. They saw him raise Lazarus back from, the li- back from the dead, walk on water, calm storms. They had seen the mighty works that confirmed Jesus' identity as the Messiah. And for that reason, they would not be silenced. They were not going to be silenced. But not everyone on that day was pleased with the events that unfolded. As you might well imagine, uh, the Pharisees had... Uh, some derogatory things to say. We learn in Luke that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you the truth. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, what was the problem with the Pharisees? What was their deal? Shut these people up, they said. Keep them quiet. Knock it off. Why did they want them to stop? Was it too loud for them? I mean, did they have a headache? Was it too early in the day? Were they annoyed with the commotion? No, no. These leaders knew exactly what the people were saying. Hosanna to the son of David. These people are acknowledging Jesus as the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, worshiping him as someone would worship God, and Jesus was not stopping them. In fact, he was the one that started the events of the day. He initiated it. He refused to stop the people. And the Pharisees would have been well acquainted with another prophecy from the Old Testament, a prophecy that starts from another book that starts with the letter Z, not Zechariah, but Zephaniah. And Zephaniah 3 we read this. Sing, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Now, was there singing on that day? Shouting? Gladness? Rejoicing? Absolutely there was. The passage from Zephaniah is the very picture of the events of Palm Sunday. The text continues to say that the Lord has taken away your punishment and is with you. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. God with us, Emmanuel The Lord, also known as the King of Israel, is with you. Now, who did Zechariah say would be riding on the donkey again? Oh, yeah, the King of Israel. Can you see now why the Pharisees are indignant? 
going out of their minds, pulling their hair out over, over what is happening. The fulfillment of this prophecy is happening right in front of their eyes, and they're rejecting it. They refuse to accept it. They refuse to believe it. And because of that, they want to shut it down, shut the people up. But that was not going to happen. You see, because the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem had occurred, it happened, and things were going to be different now. It was no longer time to be quiet. It was no longer time to remain silent. It was time to shout and sing and celebrate Jesus fully revealed as God with us. This stands in stark contrast to earlier times in Jesus' ministry where Jesus would heal someone and then instruct them not to tell anyone, to to keep it quiet, because his hour had not yet come. His time had not yet come. After raising the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, from the dead, Jesus says to Jairus and to his wife, don't tell anyone. Keep it quiet. Don't say anything. After healing a man with leprosy, Jesus says, See to it that you don't tell anyone. Say nothing to anyone. After healing a man who was both mute and deaf, Jesus charged them to tell no one. Time after time after time, Jesus said, Wait, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. The hour has not yet come, the time is not yet right. But this time was different because the hour had come. The hour was here. The hour for what? The hour ushering in Jesus bringing peace to people, peace with God. Jesus himself reveals it in John chapter 12 where he says, The hour has come. The time is now. The time is right. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He goes on in that passage to say, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus had brought glory to God through his earthly ministry, through his teaching, through his preaching, through his miracles, and he would continue to bring glory to God by obeying God all the way to death on the cross. The hour had come. Palm Sunday is an important day. Prior to Palm Sunday, the hour wasn't here. The hour had not come, but after Palm Sunday, everything changed. The events on Palm Sunday are a prelude for what happens in the rest of the week, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the burial, and then, of course, everything culminating with his resurrection on Easter Sunday. The final point, the final proof point of evidence confirming beyond any reasonable doubt that he was and is the Son of God. So let's kind of wrap this whole thing up. What is Palm Sunday all about? Why is it so significant? Well, it's an exclamation mark of fulfilled prophecy that points directly to Jesus being the Messiah. It is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus where the floodgates of worship were opened 
publicly, never to be closed again, continuing on to this very day. Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end. It is the beginning of the end of the life of Jesus here on earth that culminates with his death on the cross. And the ripping of the curtain, the dividing curtain in the temple uh, that separated people from the holiest of holy places. It's the beginning of the end. But Palm Sunday is also the beginning of the beginning. It's the beginning of the beginning of a new era where Jesus is fully recognized as Emmanuel, God with us, because we can all see, as Paul puts it, that in Christ the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Where the dividing curtain between God and people is ripped away so that we can now have full access to God the Father because of the blood of the covenant shed by Jesus on the cross. So does, does knowing this information change anything about my life? Well, I suppose that's up to you. But now you can make an informed decision about what to do with Jesus because now you know of at least one very specific prophecy that literally shouts that Jesus is the Messiah. You can choose to join the multitude of believers who worshipped him on that day and all the way up to this day. Or you can choose to shut down the noise and try to tune it all out. But I do warn you, remember the words of Jesus, that if they were silent, even the very stones would cry out. We see that clearly in the Christ hymn that Paul records in Philippians 2, where he challenges us, says to us, that we should have the same mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh yes, the stones will cry out. We live in a post-Palm Sunday world. The time for silence is over. Now is the time for loudly declaring that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The way to lasting peace with God, the truth of who God is and who we are, and our desperate need for him, and the life eternal that can only be entered into by faith in him. Now is the time for being his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We live in a post-Palm Sunday world. The time for silence is over. Let's talk to him. Five hundred years, Father, 500 years. It's a long time. It's a long time to, for you to peer into the future, know and orchestrate the events of the day so that we wouldn't miss it, so that we would see who your son was and is and that we could have peace with you through him. We are so thankful for your word, for all of it, and how it draws us to you and teaches us 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, John. Each Sunday of the Lenten season, we've been taking in a, a short devotional thought by way of video, and today's the final installment of that as we continue to reflect on the message of Palm Sunday. There you are. Here you come from the back of the crowd. Can you hear my voice over the crowd? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your steadfast love. You are the light, Lord. There you are. I see you coming. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Lord, I see you. Here I am. I see you. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I lay my cloak in your honor, Lord. I wave my palm branch in great celebration. Thank you for coming to us, Lord. Thank you for coming. This king comes today offering us true, lasting peace. Peace that can only be known through the Lord Jesus Christ. We will take time now to move toward communion to remember once again that he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to scripture for our sins. We have tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as a table in the back. Let's go to communion. We're not a church that um, has like plaques hanging everywhere saying this person donated this for this or that for that. Um, we really believe that God wants us to be pointing to him and honoring him in every possible way. Um, last year, Cindy Gorin's mom passed away and she decided that one of the ways that she wanted to continue to honor her mom was to make sure that we had palms on Palm Sunday. <coughs> And part of the reason I, I love that is because today her mom, Beverly, is uh, looking at that same Jesus that we talked about today and worshiping him in his presence. So as you're leaving today, you'll, you have a choice. We're going both ways because some of you are getting like a collection of these. You know, you've got four crosses now and you're like, wait, that doesn't work on my hill. What do I do with that? And so, so we've got the, the natural palms as well. And uh, my crew up here is going to help pass those out. So we'll do the quick break out the door and meet you there. I want to remind you that every Sunday, uh, there are people that stand down here more than willing to pray for you, with you, and for you about anything. It may be a decision you made during the service. It may be a point of pain or celebration in your life. They're always down here ready to pray. Uh, one of the things that I was not quite prepared for in our trip is the fact that Arizona um, doesn't do daylight savings time. And so when we arrived, my, my clock was really messed up because we were not behind an hour. We were, we were behind two hours. And so we're kind of adjusting everything to that and trying to figure out everything. And Well, we got home, and now you're playing that two-hour adjustment game, right? So Kim's ready to go to bed last night at 9.30, and I'm like, I'm not going to bed. I'm wide awake. And um, <clears throat> so clicked on the TV, and and Lord of the Rings Twin Towers was on. And it was on right at about the point that I can't turn off because, uh, you know, this vast horde of ghastly beasts 
is trying to take down the people of Middle Earth, trying to destroy that castle. And they're just going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it seems like all hope is lost. And all of a sudden, Gandalf, not Gandalf the Grey anymore, but Gandalf the White, comes riding over the hill. And there's a bright light and a throng along with him. And he just comes dashing down that mountain and destroys everything in sight. And Middle Earth is saved, at least for a moment. And as John's speaking this morning, I'm thinking how fascinating the movie would be if instead of riding over the hill on a glorious steed, Gandalf comes down the hill and you can just, you can just see the vast crowd, these, these ghastly beasts below, laughing their heads off, waiting for him to get down there so they could club him to death. Jesus comes on a donkey to say, I come in peace, I come in humility, and I come in absolute vulnerability. You choose. Do you want me or no? Club me if you will. Accept me if you will. But I'm not coming in force. I'm not forcing you to do anything. I'm offering myself to you. Please don't miss the offer of Jesus Christ. He offers himself for you in humility. Will you accept him? Enjoy your Passion Week. We'll see you Friday night and then again next Sunday. Come on, guys.